And uh, we're going to be back there. It's in the New Testament, a letter that uh, uh, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Many scholars refer to this letter as God's love letter to the church. I've been telling you over the past few weeks, it's been my prayer that you would see this as God's personal love letter to you uh, because it's absolutely incredible. Uh, we've been... Uh, uh, in, in week number one, just kind of review where we've been and, and where we're at today. In week number one, Paul introduced this uh, powerful, what people want to make this confusing doctrine of, uh, of predestination. We found it's really not confusing at, at all. At, as a matter of fact, it is so very exciting, exciting that we were predestined, which means basically that God chose us even before the creation of the world. He loved you so much that he chose you before you were even born to be his child and so that that speaks to this awesome and amazing love for us that he predestined that we would be uh, his children we saw in week two that that not only does he want you to have a head knowledge of that law uh, uh, love but 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 we saw where Paul he, he begins explaining this and it's almost like he's going through it he talks about predestination and he's like you know time out I, I, I got to pray for you guys because I know this stuff is confusing it's hard for you to understand it's hard for you to grasp and so we see this prayer uh, here and Paul says you know I, I'm praying for the the church I'm praying for you that you wouldn't just have this knowledge of uh, of what we're talking about this knowledge of Jesus Christ this knowledge of love he said but I'm praying that God would open the eyes of your heart not just that you would have it in your head but you would have it in your heart and you would experience and feel it and know it uh, in, in your life and so uh, we, we saw that in week number two and week number three uh, Paul began to elaborate on this uh, good news that we call the gospel. Uh, a lot of times if you hear someone refer to the gospel, they're speaking about the good news of Jesus Christ and this love that Paul, that Paul y'all, I had to get up early this morning. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, my tongue hadn't woke completely up yet. But anyway, uh, so we see Paul, he introduces us in, in uh, to a very powerful word there that, that he speaks to, and he says that we have been saved, right? And, and so we saw the power of what it is that we have been saved from. God loved us so much that he saved us from death. Right, we talked about the fact that not only were we, you know, in a sea of sin, and He come by and rescued us, we were dead, floating face down in a sea of sin, and He came by, pulled us out, and breathed eternal life into our lungs. That's what He did for us, and that's what Paul means by by being saved. That's what He has saved us from. And then uh, last week we learned uh, a little more about salvation. That at the heart of salvation is God's grace. You know, the, the instrument of salvation is faith, which God gave us too, right? I mean, he's the one that gave us faith and the ability to believe uh, the result of salvation when you've accepted Christ. We saw, you know, what God saved us from, and then Paul begins to make this transition, what he saved you from to what he saved you for, and he says, if you're saved, there'll be good works, right? He'll do a work through you. You'll be an obedient, willing vessel that he will use, and there'll be uh, good works as a result of your salvation. And the great news is this, and it just kind of makes us all uh, have the ability to breathe this sigh of relief that, uh, you know, Paul reminded us. And don't forget, by the way, what God has finished, what God has started, he's also going to finish. 
He's going to finish that work in us. He's going to finish that work in you. He's going to finish that work in his church. And so now, basically, Paul spent the last chapter and a half talking about this good news we call the gospel. Uh, it's been powerful. Uh, we, we, you know, have seen that the power and the force of that, when you receive that and you accept that, once you've been hit with that kind of power and that kind of force in your life, you're going to be changed right? We talked about last week, if a piano falls on your head, you're going to be changed, right? When something hits you with the power and the force of salvation and God's grace and what we've been talking about, you're going to be changed. It's going to change you. It's going to change your family. It's going to change our church. It's going to change our community. And I'm just naive enough to think that it's going to change the world because it does, right? It has that kind of power, force, uh, and effect. But now Paul turns his attention. He says, okay, this is, this is what you've been saved from. All right, and he says, now I, I want to show you uh, in a little more detail what you have been saved for. And he turns our attention to something else that is so very powerful. And that's this, that the body of people that have accepted this gospel, the body of people that, that you know, the, the gospel creates is the church. All right. That's what it creates. That's what it's all about. And I believe that this passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning uh, is extremely relevant to our culture today uh, and to our society today. And here's why. In the U.S. today, people are moving. I mean, we're seeing a trend of people moving away from institutional religion and churches. We're seeing this trend where people are anti-institutional about everything, not just the church, but we're speaking specifically about the church today. I read a survey that was uh, done about a year ago here in the United States. One of the questions that was asked of Americans was this, do you believe that you can be a very good Christian without attending church? And I was shocked to see that 81% of the people surveyed said, yes, they believe that you can be a very good Christian without attending church. And so, you know, another reason this passage today is so relevant to us is because Paul is giving us the prescription, if you will, for racial uh, unity in our world, for cultural unity in, in the church. Uh, racial tensions uh, in, in the church was a big issue for the church when Paul wrote this and he sent them this letter. They had so many things that divided them. Think about it. For several thousand years, God's people had been who? The Jews, right? That, that had been God's people. And now Jesus shows up with this new, you know, evangelism program called Whosoever Will May Come, right? Not just the Jews, but Jesus is coming saying, Whosoever Will May Come. And that means anybody, anyone of any nationality, of any race, of, uh, you know, anyone can come. And so now what has happened? Well, there's a bunch of Gentiles who's buying what they're selling, right? And, and so you've got all these Gentiles who be, begin to believe in Jesus and place their faith in Jesus. And so now what's happening? You've got Gentiles sitting next to Jews at church, right? Do you, do you understand the magnitude of this? Because the Gentiles had their own customs and cultures, and the Jews, they had their own customs and, and, and cultures. And the Gentiles, you know, they had their preferences about music. And the Jews had another preference about music. They wanted a, the hymn book, right? And, and so, you know, the Gentiles had, the, I'm kidding, they didn't have hymn books back then. That was something man created back in the 1800s that some of us are still holding as sacred cows in our lives today. But that's a whole different message. But they had different views. They had different views. We have different views, right? We have different opinions. The Gentiles had 
different political views. Heaven forbid than the Jews had. They, they saw things differently. And, and not only that, but think about it. The Gentiles are bringing pork roast to the potluck. <laughs> the church was a mess. Just another reason to eliminate potluck, right? And 2,000 years later, I would, I would argue that it's still a mess, right? That there are still racial differences uh, in the church. There are still cultural differences in our world today that affect the church. Uh, and, and when something affects the church, think about it. When something affects the church, it affects the church effectiveness, See what I'm saying? It, it, it affects the ability that we have to be able to share this powerful gospel message of Jesus uh, with the, the force uh, that it has. And so I believe that most of us in here today, I mean, if we surveyed everybody in here today and said, you know, would you like to have a racially diverse church? I believe everyone would say, yeah. You know, I, I believe for the most part, everyone in here is all about having a racially diverse church and, and people of different cultures coming and, and being a part of our church until those cultures and those differences begin to make us feel uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? And then when it begins to make us uncomfortable, we're not real sure that that's the path that we want to go down because those people may worship different than us. They may... Uh, do things different than us. They may have different likes than we have and dislikes. And so, you know, th this passage from Paul today is not only going to show us the importance of cultural and, and, and racial diversity in the church, it's going to show us the importance of it, the importance of unity in the church. And I know we got a little faction back here. I'm just going to call them out this morning. We got a little faction back here in the back corner that are, are divided. They're not united. They're, they're some, somebody went to Branson and didn't invite somebody to else, else, and now they're sitting on different rows back there. This altar is open for you. Y'all need to get over it, okay? I'm preaching to you this morning, unity in the church. Boy, they get their feelings hurt over the strangest things. Well, they went to Branson and didn't invite me. Well, they didn't invite, they've never invited me. Okay? This is good. So Paul's going to show us, he's going to teach us why it's so important to have unity in the church. Let's, uh, let's begin in, in verse 11, see what Paul says. He says, hey, listen, don't forget. Don't forget that you, you Gentiles used to be the outsiders, Okay? You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, and much worse. They, they had some pretty, pretty bad names for each other. He said, in those days, you, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. Now, you know, they were once identified, he's saying these Gentiles were once identified as being separated from Christ and excluded from Israel because these were basically one and the same. All right, they, they basically meant the same thing. If you wanted to belong to God, then you had to belong to Israel. All right, if you wanted to know God, then you had to, you know, become Jewish. And so Paul's saying here to these Ephesian Christians who were mostly Gentile, you know, you were once in this category. All right, he goes on to say in verse 12, you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without any hope of having a relationship with God. But it's not that way anymore. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago, anytime you see but in the scripture, something's about to change, right? And that's what happens in verse number 13. He says, but now 
You have been united with Christ Jesus. And we saw last week where Paul says, and when you've been united with Christ Jesus, where does that put you? In his seat, right? And if you missed that last week, the preaching was horrible, but the content was powerful, right? I encourage you to go back and listen to it. When we're united with Christ, that means we have taken place with Christ in the heavenly realms, right? That's what Paul told us. And so you have now been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought what? Peace. He's brought peace to us. He's united Jews and Gentiles into one people, into one nation, into one race. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down that wall of hostility that separated all of us. And I don't know if we can really understand the magnitude uh, of, of what's going on here, but literally in the Jewish temple, and we did a study on this a while back uh, on Wednesday nights in a Bible study, and I'm not going to go into all the detail, but within the Jewish temple, there was a physical wall that was built to keep the Gentiles out of a certain area, right? And they say that this wall was about 10 foot tall, and it was made of very thick stone, okay? And so there's this wall in a temple, and there was a sign that would be hung on that wall in the temple that said basically this, any Gentile that enters beyond this point, beyond this wall, will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death. Now, there's nothing that says welcome to our church more than signs that say you are not welcome here, right? And this is exactly what they had. And from the Jewish perspective, I mean, think about their perspective because this wall literally to them separated the good and the bad. It was there on purpose to keep the bad out, right? And so this, this physical wall that was there, you know, to separate the clean from the unclean, the safe from the unsafe. Now, let me say, stop here this morning and say, you know, we may be politically correct enough uh, in our church not to post signs like that anymore. But I would say that we still have walls in our minds. I, I would say that we still have walls in our hearts, walls that separate, that, that we feel strongly about, these walls that separate the, the right from the wrong kind of people and, and the good from the bad, the clean from the unclean, the safe from the unsafe. And, and maybe these walls are, are racial walls. Because we all know in our world today, there are white prejudices, there are black prejudices, right? There's Hispanic, Asian, maybe these walls that exist today, I've seen it before and even felt it before, exist because of education levels. Maybe you feel uncomfortable around people that have a different uh, level of education than you have. You know, people who have a, a lot of educated, uh, a lot of education uh, sometimes tend to look down on people like us, <laughs> me, that don't have a lot of education, right? We give you just reason to do that, but still, right? And, and us un uneducated people often look up to the educated people and think that you're all a bunch of snobs, right? Uh, with your nose in the air. And so you see what kind of walls I'm talking about? Let, let's take it a step further. Let, let's, let's hit a more sensitive nerve this morning. Maybe it's political walls. Think about the walls that we have that divide us when it comes for, to a political thing. You know, you think people who are a part of your preferred party are the good people, right? And the people that associate with that other party, well, then, you know, they're the bad party. And anyone who associates with them, then they must be bad. Maybe you're for a tax and they're against a tax. And we build a wall and it divides us. 
These are all walls. All of these things, these are all walls that can create division, not just in our world, but division in the church. And don't miss this. Paul is saying here, he's saying, but Christ has torn down those walls. Christ has, you know, removed all of that because when it comes to God, remember, think about it, when it comes to God, we were all on the outside looking in, right? We were all on the outside. None of us were included. Uh, there were no good people or, or bad people, winners or lo losers, or, uh, you know, there was no dysfunctional people or people who had it all together. Uh, there, there were only, you know, bad, uh, Paul told us, and, and it was kind of, the names he called us wasn't nice. I mean, he said we were bad. We were dead. We were sin-sick rebels, basically is what he called us earlier. Children of Satan. Sons and daughters of disobedience. We were on the outside. We were the bad. We were without God and helpless in this world. But, right? But, Paul says here, Jesus' blood... Think about it now. It didn't cleanse me a little better than it cleansed you. Jesus' blood cleanses us all alike. It cleanses us all the same, right? And so that's what tears down this wall. And think how, think how controversial and how powerful this message was, right? That Paul read and poor some soul had to read to the church. Because at the time that Paul wrote these words, that 10-foot wall was still standing in the temple. They had to walk around it to come to worship. The 10-foot wall was, was still there in the temple, and it had been constructed earlier by commands of God and how, you know, when God told them to build the temple, right, when it was originally built. And Paul's saying, you know that wall that you walked by when you came in here this morning? That wall no longer exists. I saw it. I'm pretty sure. I walked by it this morning. Right? But Paul says that wall no, longer's, no longer exists because of Jesus and what he has done. That wall is gone. Even if it's physically still there, it's been torn down. So start you a building program, remodel and get rid of the wall. Right? And, and so he goes on in verse 15. He didn't say that. I made that up. I'm just thinking from a pastor's point of view there. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and all its regulations. He made peace between the Jews and Gentiles, there's that word again, peace, right? He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from these two groups, okay? So what's Paul saying here? He's saying that what Jesus, you know, did on the cross and in the resurrection, what that did was, boy, I hope you grasp this, it created one race. It created one people, right? It, it took the divisions, it took the labels, it took all these things and, and made us uh, one so that we can share in these things. And in his death and in the resurrection, that removed anything, listen to me now, it removes anything that would make you feel superior and it also removes anything that makes you feel inferior, okay? And somebody need to hear that. Somebody, and, and so now there's nothing Think about it. There is nothing that distinguishes us from one another. Uh, but, in, but instead, what do we have? Instead, what, we, you know, we have something glorious in common now. Instead of things that make us different, things that divide us, we have, you know, in common now, more in common that far exceeds whatever those differences may have been or, or happened. In Jesus, think about it. There is only one kind of sinner, Paul said. 
dead. One kind of sinner. We can't rate them. We can't decide one's worse than another. Paul said there's one kind of sinner and it's dead. And so in Jesus, there is only one kind of believer alive. Right? One kind of sinner, dead. In Christ, there's only one kind of believer, alive in Christ, fully adopted into God's family, period, the end. All right? And so I want to show you something else that's important here. We saw earlier as we were looking at this how the Trinity is involved in salvation, how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all involved in you being saved and, and having the opportunity to be saved. I want you to look at what it goes into next. Verse 18. Verse 18 says, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his what? Together we are his house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone of that foundation is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together. He didn't just throw us together. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming what? A holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made a part of this. You're being made a part of this dwelling where God lives now by the Spirit. So not only, don't miss this, not only is the Trinity involved in every aspect of salvation, but now you've got the whole Trinity involved in building the church. And when it comes to the church, the Father is the architect, the, the Son is the foundation, and the, the Spirit is the builder, right? He, he's the one doing the work. So I would argue that if the Trinity is involved in building the church, that the church is kind of a big deal. The, the church is pretty important. And if the Trinity is involved in building the church, then I think we ought to be a part of it. Amen. Call me crazy. Crazy. <laughs> Listen, because th this is what Paul is saying here, and, and this is so very important, especially in the culture that we live in today. Paul tells us, listen, the church, it, it's the church. That's what God's building on earth. That's what he's doing on earth is building his church. That's, and he shows us that literally every member of the Trinity is involved in building it. And if every member of the Trinity is involved, do you really think that it's optional for you? You know, Paul's saying that the church is being built by who? Well, it's being built by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, can I ask you, who are they building it with? Us. Got your hard hat? Because we're building it. Right? They're using us to build the church. We're being joined together in Christ, he said, to build this holy temple. Each member of the church, Paul says, is a key part of this building. I want you to think of it like this. We've got some rock work that's done on our house, and they're all unique. You know, no one rock is the same, right? They're all unique. You know, we talk a lot about the different parts of the body. Today, I want you to think of yourself as a precious stone. That God has created to be a part of building the church. And within every stone, you know, we're not a brick where everybody is the same. 
We don't all look the same. We don't all serve the same purpose. But we're all unique being placed in this building to build the church. And this is so good because God, within every one of those precious stones, he places uh, his spirit. You know, he places his spirit with different gifts, different graces, different things that he puts in each and every stone in order to be able to build the church to his glory, to impact the world, to impact our community. Right? That's what it's all about. The church is, the church is where and the church is how we experience God's power. Okay? It's where and how we experience his presence and his power in our lives. And if you separate yourself from the church, I would argue that you're separating yourself from his power. Does that make any sense? If you're separating yourself from the church, that you're separating yourself from God's power... Because here's the deal. He has put his gifts of the Spirit into every member to do his work, right? All of them unique. All of them to do different things and serve in different ways, right? He's put his Spirit in every member, not just me, not just our church board, not just, you know, our staff, in every single member. And he does it so that we can all be used together as the church for his glory, to do his work here on this earth and build his kingdom. Right, And we saw this emphasis that Paul was placing on the church back a couple weeks ago. I think it was week two. We saw Paul kind of bring this up, and it's like, you know, I'm going to throw this out there, and then I'm going to get back to it later, and I'm just really going to hammer you on it. Right, And that's kind of what I think. But, you know, I think he's just wanting to reemphasize what we saw a couple weeks ago. He wants us to see that the main thing that Jesus is doing in this world is building the church. Uh, the church is the focal point and the apex of everything that God is doing in the world. And he calls us his bride. That, we sang about it earlier. It just gave me chills when we sang that song. He views us as his bride. We're, and, and, you know, uh, I, I can't even imagine. But he's wanting to use us in powerful and, and, and awesome ways. And, and, and so for Paul, uh, and I mentioned this before, but for Paul to think about what the church was and what Jesus had done for the church. The church was created through the shedding of, of Jesus' blood and it's the apex of everything that's taking place on the world. It would blow Paul's mind to hear an American say today, I don't believe you have to go to church to be a good Christian. I think he'd had a smothering spell, Right? I don't think you got to go to church to be a good Christian. For Paul, it would have been inconceivable that the church would just be an event that you would attend occasionally on weekends. The church was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's a place where God's presence is and his power flows. And again, I would argue that if the church meant enough to Jesus for him to die for it, then we should be deeply devoted to it. If Jesus invested his blood into the church, can I ask you, what are you investing into the church? Because I believe if he was willing to invest his blood in his life, then we should invest the best that we have, the best of our time, the best of our energy, and our resources. Because here's the deal. I believe with all my heart that God is ready to move heaven and earth to build his kingdom here. I believe he's ready. He's, he's ready to complete the mission of the church and come back and get his bride. There is not a shortage of God's power. Can I just tell you that? He's not short-circuited somewhere or waiting. There's not a shortage of God's power to be able to save the lost in the world. I believe that he's simply waiting on the church to do what he's called us to do. That's good preaching, Frank. Thank you. I'm hot. <laughs> Thank you. 
And if you're not connected to the church, I would say that you're not connected to the power of God. And so maybe you're asking right now, okay, back off, back off. I'm a visitor, whatever. Uh, you know, maybe you're sitting there asking right now, because here's what we want to do. What's the least amount that I can do to make God happy, right? So maybe you're sitting there asking right now, well, what is it, you know, that, that I can do? How much should I be involved in the church? How, how invested should I be in the church? Because we're all a little bit convicted right now, right, that we could do more. And so what is it that I could do, you know, how much should I be involved And I would say that you should be involved to the extent that you want God to work in your life. I think that you should be involved in church to the extent that you want God to work in your life. In fact, I'd be so bold to say that you have no right to ask God to help you with anything if you intentionally separate yourself from the very source and the very power and the means of that help that is provided through to you through the church. That's what the church is for. Right. And, and, and so, you know, pe- people will say, well, you know, God, I, I need your direction in my life. And God's word says, well, you know, that d- direction, that's wisdom. That wisdom comes from the spirit. And, and this spirit is is housed in all of these unique rocks in the church that have built the church. Right. And so the spirit is housed in this body of people known as the church. So if you're looking for direction in your life, go to church. You know, God, I I need help in my marriage. Again, there's some people there in the church that can help you. So go to church. You know, God, I'm I'm lonely. Go to church. You know, God, I, I don't I don't understand you. I don't understand all this. Go to church. If you want God to work in your life. I believe you've got to be a part of what he's doing, a part, a part of the church. You should be involved in the church to the extent that you want God to work in your life and in your family. And, and here's the bottom line. Sitting on the sidelines of church, right? even if you're hearing awesome sermons, which you rarely hear here. <laughs> we, I mean, we have guest speakers occasionally. But, but you know, being a, a sideline Christian or dabbling in church or or you know being kind of associated with the church <laughs> I, I gotta tell you a funny story um it's not in my notes this is why i go along but when the boys were little they were playing baseball and uh, they had a meeting and so a parent meeting for all the parents to go to and so uh, i go to the parent meeting and and i'm sitting there and i'm set by a guy that i don't know never seen him don't know him and so, you know, I'm sitting here and I thought, well, you know, I should probably talk to him <laughs> and uh, ask him, you know, maybe about if he goes to church anywhere and try to have a conversation with him. So I began to talk to him and he's telling me about his kids and I was telling him, you know, I had twins and all that, talking about baseball. And I said, so, I said, you live around town here? And he told me, he said, yeah, I live just outside of Greenbrier. And I said, you go to church anywhere? And he said, yeah, I go to the uh, uh, Nazarene church. I mean, I really didn't even know what to say. I I just was sitting there thinking, I hope the Lord knows you better than I do because, uh, you know, but there's a lot of people that, honestly, there's a lot of people in this community that say this is their church home that we see Eastern Christmas. You know what I'm saying? And and so, you know, uh, just dabbling in church or kind of being associated church, you know, you know what that means? 
you're only experiencing just a small fraction of what God wants you to know and experience. All right, you're robbing yourself, right? You, you, you think that, you know, I'm having fun fishing, doing all these things, whatever it may be you're skipping church to do, and ball season's coming up. I'm not even going there. I'm not even going there. We interrupt church this year to bring you ball season. Uh, you're going to get out of it what you put in it. You have to be involved. Paul's, I, I believe Paul was preaching here today. He said, not only you got to have to be involved, you got to be very involved. I heard one pastor talking about some of his people like this. He said, I got ninja Christians in my church. I was like, we ain't got none of that in Greenbrier. But he said, no, I got ninja. I said, what do you mean ninja Christians? He said, they slip in and they slip out and you never see them, right? <laughs> and I'm like, we do have ninja Christians in Greenbrier. You know, I never knew. But you know, you know what I know about ninja Christians? They never get to know anybody. Right? Because they're slipping in, they're slipping out. They never get to know anybody. Uh, they never get involved, really, in anything. You know, they're participants of some things. And hey, I get it. Ninjas are cool. All right? But they make horrible church members. <laughs> so some of you here today, you, you need to get involved. You need to join the church. You know, there's, there's no such thing as a sideline or a ninja Christian. And I'll wrap all this up today uh, with this. Uh, Paul wants us to understand how important the church is to the world, okay? That's the point. He wants us to understand that it's through the church that God's building his kingdom. We need, to, we need to know that, understand that, be bought into that. But think about the context of what Paul is saying here. The Jews and the Gentiles basically despised each other, right? They had a lot of differences. You know, it wasn't like they just disagreed on the style of music. It wasn't that. You know, they were ethnically different. They were racially different. They ate different foods. They came from different cultures. You know, they valued different things. They were offended by different things. They were as different as two groups of people could possibly be. And don't you know that made for an uncomfortable gathering? <laughs> but here's the deal. All their differences and all our differences changed because of Jesus. It all changed at Calvary, right? And his blood, Paul is saying, breaks down all those barriers, racial barriers, right? Economic barriers, political barriers. Can I just tell you, there's no place for that in the church. Jesus tore down the wall that separates. He tore down the wall that divides. And I believe there are probably some walls and some hearts and some minds today that he would say, that wall doesn't need to exist any longer because I tore them all down. And what I brought was peace and I brought unity. He didn't bring division. He brings peace and unity and we're saved by, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's neither Jew nor Gentile. They became this one new thing. You get it? They became this one new thing, and it's called the church. It's called the church, and that's what, you know, that's what this all, you know, has to do with us is because we're the church, right? It's not really about Jews and Gentiles in the world that we live in anymore, is it? We're, we're not as divided as the Jews and, and Gentiles probably were. Think about it. We all, we all speak the same language, 
right? We, we, most of us, you know, come from similar cultures. We all live in the same area, God's country, the South, right? Jesus doesn't have nearly as much to overcome here as he did with that wall and, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles. Or does he? Because I don't know about you, but what I see today is a world that's becoming more and more divided. And it's not only dividing the world, it's dividing churches. It's dividing the church. And and so, you know, Jesus, I believe, does have a lot to overcome in 2018. We have some of the same issues as the people that Paul was writing to here in, in Ephesians. And like those people, listen, we were all in the same boat. We were all just sinners. Dead. We were all dead. But <laughs> we've been saved by grace. We've been saved by the grace of God if we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior. And listen, when we've done that, I'm not any better than any of you, but you're not any better than anybody else. We're all on the same playing field here. We're we're all dead in our sins until Jesus brings new life to us, and that levels uh, the playing field. I said it a thousand times and probably say it many more, but at the foot of the cross... We are all equal. Man, woman, child, red, yellow, black, or white. We're all equal. And can I just say, when the church gets this right, and when we are involved in what the church is doing and the ministry of the church, there are no limits to what God can do through the Greenbrier Church of the Nazarene and through you. And I believe that with all my heart. I do. So this would be a great opportunity for me to go tell you to sign up on the volunteer thing. But I'm not. But God's convicting some of you about it. So let me just pray with us. God, man, we love your word. Especially when your word reminds us how much you love us. And and we're encouraged. And you remind us that... uh, you know, what you've saved us from. And it's, it's just been a glorious experience to go through these last few weeks as Paul reminds us of this incredible love that you have for us and what you've done for us. But God, <laughs> Paul didn't just stop there. He had a message that you wanted him to share with us. And it's that, you know, it's glorious what we've been saved from, but we need to understand what we've been saved for, and that's to be the church. That's to be a part of the church. That's to be about building the kingdom of God. And I pray that as you look down on the church, that you're pleased with what you see and what you find. I pray that when you look upon the Greenbrier Church here, I just pray that you uh, would say that we're faithful. But God, I know that there's always room to grow and room for improvement. And sometimes messages like these uh, really make us uncomfortable and maybe we don't want to hear them, but God, we need to hear them. We need to know what you've called us to do and that's build the kingdom. Not to build our kingdom, build your kingdom. It's your kingdom that it's all about and you're doing that through the church and so God, we're the church and so we want to be a part of that and I pray that you'd find us faithful in that. And it doesn't, it doesn't, end when we walk out of those doors we we want to think of church as the building it's not the building it's us it's us that make up the church and so 
I pray that we'd be a beautiful bride, a beautiful church as we go to work tomorrow and school tomorrow and the senior citizens tomorrow and all the places that we go. I pray that you'd find us faithful and you would find us beautiful as your bride. We love you. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. And God, I pray if there be one here today that hasn't accepted that love, hasn't accepted you as Lord and Savior of their life, that today would be a day that they would surrender to you. Today would be a day where they would find a place to just come before you and just have that talk they know they've been needing to have. And God, I pray that then that they would understand and realize, maybe come to one of our staff people or me, and we'd be able to encourage them and disciple in the days ahead. But God, today would be a great day for someone to give their life to you. And so I pray and I trust that you're doing a work that will bring you glory and honor. We love you so very much. Thank you for loving us. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Love you guys. Hope you have